0: you all are listening to the Maverick of Marketing Radio Show. And now, here's your host, Shannon Maverick.
1: What is up, everybody? This is your host, Shannon Maverick of the Maverick of Marketing Radio. And not only am I your host, but today I'm your fricker your producer and DJ. (laughs) So first time running the board. Um, So please excuse any uh, mistakes that I make or anything that happens. And I'm very grateful and lucky this morning to have a good friend of mine in the studio, Mr. Taylor Bagley.
0: Shannon, it's great being here with you. And you're doing fabulous at this. So Uh, yeah. (laughs) thank you.
1: It's weird to be on this side of the studio. Uh I wish we had um, some live stream of what's going on in here because I'm usually sitting where you're sitting. And now I've got the board, the computer, the clock. Like. Yeah, it's
0: kind of odd because actually I'm usually where you're sitting. I know. Yeah, so um, we're, we're kind of in alternate realities here, I know. So. For
1: those who don't know, Taylor is one of our creative producers here at MarketScale. He runs a lot in our job cast and kind of job board mm-hmm. um, area, helping B2B marketers, hire on better qualified candidates
0: absolutely creating a lot of content to help them get those jobs out there in front of people so a
1: lot of content content is king um so today we have a really fun show um kind of going off of job boards Mm -hmm. and content for websites something Mm -hmm. that we haven't talked about on maverick of marketing is actually just that topic um websites and how (laughs) unfortunately b2b websites have a track record of being rather dull (laughs) Okay, you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, I was going to say, unfunctional. Okay, there you (laughs) go. But dull is a better way of putting it. Uh Um, And we have a great guest, uh, Andrew Palacios. He is not only the founder of Andrew Palacios Web Design, but he is also the marketing director for an awesome company called Carlson Engineering and Mm -hmm. Manufacturing. So he kind of has two different uh, areas in B2B that he works in. The kind of technical product Mm -hmm. side and then also helping marketers enhance their websites to be not only the ultimate sales tool but the ultimate lead gen machine right so he's going to be talking with us about some tips and tricks on how to kind of optimize your website and how he's just kind of seen the functionality of a b2b website change Mm -hmm. from maybe back in the 90s when it was kind of a internet brochure if you will to now it's actually a customer experience Mm -hmm. to get to know a company so we'll be hearing from him a little bit later but in the meantime, a couple of interesting things happened over the weekend. Mm-hmm. One of which being um, Apple, <laughs> always yep. under scrutiny, yep. and uh, facial recognition always in question on the consumer side whether or not people are comfortable with it. Right. I recently got a new iPhone. I now have the Face ID. I think you did too. Yeah, too yeah. Ago. I
0: think you and I both just upgraded recently. Stepping so, on up, yep.
1: stepping on up. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a company called Clearview AI, and they've recently been suspended from Apple's developer uh-huh. program, basically because they were caught, or maybe that's a bit of an aggressive term. They right. um, were seen giving access to their database of I guess, images that they've Mm kind of scraped from the website to different agencies, um, mainly law enforcement Mm -hmm. and big banks Mm -hmm. to help kind of with fraud. So they have good intentions, it sounds like. They're just going about it in kind of a for lack of better terms, sketchy way of doing it.
0: Right. Well, the big issue here is is that it was on the Apple Developers program, where yeah. that's essentially kind of a, a, a workshop incubator for developers to get access to applications, to get access to certain data, to um, help improve them, to help build upon them, to help, uh, you know, integrate functionality into some of the things that uh, maybe they might be building. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Meant for use in the public, it's not meant for you know widespread uh, implementation, and it's certainly not meant to you know influence our justice system and influence you know our our legal system and and some of the uh, the privacy concerns that even come along with uh, uh, private businesses using some of these. Um, which plenty were implicated, including uh, Macy's, Walmart, the NBA. Yeah. Um, so uh, alongside of agencies like ICE and the FBI. So, um, you know, we have a, a really widespread of ban, I guess, of really um, maybe something that could be pretty serious and how that data can be used and also maybe at best uh, just kind of a breach of privacy. So um, the, the big issue, too, is that we don't get to opt in to having that you mm-hmm. know those those things are also uh have, have been built off of pictures and photos and things that can be found on people online and there are billions of them that have created profiles on a lot of individuals so um a lot of times this is kind of technology we all speculate is happening and and we kind of really got to look it in the face and um and when it's not being used appropriately i i, I think you know i i apple made a good choice there so
1: yeah basically they gave uh the company 14 days to respond mm-hmm. to kind of the issues that they had with some of these allegations that have arisen and i think it wouldn't have been such a big deal if earlier last week um there hadn't have been a big leak and hackers basically obtained its in- Clearfield AI's entire list mm-hmm. of client information, mm-hmm. so that's not good, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, and like you're saying, you don't get to really choose how these companies use your information. You right. just kind of—it's now the norm to just say, "Sure, take my take my face, why yeah. not?"
0: Well, not only that, I mean, it's—it's it's, when you think of Apple as a whole. I mean, you and I were just talking about upgrading our phones. I mean, there's already a programmed and saved 3d rendering and model of our face. I mean, we, I'm sure you remember having to set it up, you know, and, you know, waving your phone in front of your face in all different directions to make sure it can capture and build that model. And, um, you know, I, I think that obviously that's going to be used locally there on your phone, but making sure that things like that don't become, you know, a widespread source of, um, you know, I guess the ability of people to abuse that is is really going to be a goal here. I think, you know, you need to be able to opt into any of these programs. And, uh, um, yeah, um, I'm, hopefully we won't see, you know, this being a trend that continues.
1: I agree. I agree. And so on to something a little less scary or maybe more scary, depending on how you view this, uh, I guess group of individuals uh-huh. i read a really cool article on forbes over the weekend on 50 stats that they thought marketers should know about gen z mm-hmm. which is interesting because actually last week our team here did a case study on millennials right. and the kind of things that people need to be aware of marketers ceos just leadership because mm-hmm. um, i myself and i believe you as well mm-hmm. are in the millennial category very much so. but this uh this list of stats was interesting and i'll be sure to link it in the write-up down below so mm-hmm. you can check it out in case you want to see some stuff but gen z is an interesting group mm-hmm. um they really truly grew up in the age of i want it now and i'm gonna get it now mm-hmm. and social media mm-hmm. so a few stats that i found personally interesting Uh, one of which being, we kind of chatted about a little bit earlier, that um, they actually have a four, what is it, eight second attention span, Mm -hmm. which happens to be four seconds less than our group in Millennials. So what does that mean in the form of advertising or marketing to Mm -hmm. these, I I keep wanting to say kids, but they're not necessarily kids. Right,
0: right. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I, I think that's interesting. I mean, you know, obviously you and I being Millennials, we're no strangers to having people Constantly spout uh, different yes. statistics about us to us to try to tell us what, who we are. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I think that those uh, have have we, we've kind of been able to see some of that um, unfold and change, you know, as as we've gone through. But I think realistically, what Gen Zs have that Millennials maybe uh, you know had. What we have a little bit in difference is the fact that they're interacting with content and content creators uh, at a much higher volume than I think millennials were when we were at their age. Absolutely. And and you have to sell to a Gen Z person a little more subtly. You know, they're they've been xing out of out of pop up ads. You know, since they were three years old mm-hmm. now, and He's it's getting
1: in the way of their uh, uh, yeah, whatever they're doing. Exactly. Go away.
0: So I think integrating products into. Um, you know, very similar to the way we did with millennials, you know, um, integrating them into lifestyle, integrating them into influencers, integrating them into the content that they're already engaging in, um, not necessarily selling them with, you know, a banner ad, but selling them with, you know, maybe a small uh, mention or something there in, in a video or a post is a, uh, um, I think going to continue to be the direction that, that we market towards this group. Um, what I think is, is fascinating because we came from the millennials, which were such a large group of people. Is. Gen Z is such a large, yeah, you know, group of mm-hmm. individuals, and by you know twenty thirty is poised to make up thirty percent of the workforce. Where you know we're as as you know millennials kind of matured into that workforce, you know, ended up making roughly about twenty five or twenty six percent, somewhere around there. So mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting to see kind of that size difference because you know we were a, a a large group and 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 we made a big change in kind of how certain things were done. And and, and we'll probably continue to see that with, with uh, Gen Zs.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned ads because I think one of the stats was 69% think ads are disruptive, but mm-hmm. more notably, 88% prefer omni-channel branded experiences. Mm-hmm. So they don't just want to be hit with information on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They want to have it through YouTube. They mm-hmm. want to have it through TV. They mm-hmm. want to have multi-channel and multi-dimensional um, exposure to brands that they potentially want to be a customer to.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. I think there's an air of credibility when you can spread some of that out. Sometimes you get tied to your channel and kind of how you market to things, and I think it sometimes limits, uh, one, obviously just your viewership, but people's um, just interaction and how that that integrates into their uh, social ecosystem. So. Yeah, I'm sure that these will be uh, stats that, that we all as marketers, you know, keep an eye on here for uh, probably the next decade or so.
1: Yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting. And speaking of omni-channel and multi-dimensional mm-hmm. experiences, that takes us to a quick commercial break where we will be joined back with Mr. Andrew Palacios, the founder of Andrew Palacios Web Design and the marketing director of Carlson Engineering and Manufacturing. So everybody stay tuned and we will be right back. Have you ever thought to yourself, podcasts are pretty cool. I should use one to market my company. Good news, you're not alone. But where do you start? MarketScale's Thought Leadership Club makes it easy to dive into the world of B2B podcasting. With in-house podcast production, audio hosting, and more,
2: MarketScale can be your podcast
1: partner that sets you up as a thought leader in your industry, creating the content that powers B2B. For more information, head to marketscale.com and find out what thousands of companies already know to be true, that podcasting is the future of thought leadership in B2B marketing. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Maverick of Marketing Radio. I am your host, Shannon Maverick, and I am very excited to have joined with me Andrew Palacios. As previously mentioned, he's not only the founder of Andrew Palacios Web Design, but he's also the marketing director of Carlson Engineering. So, Andrew, thank you so much for being with us this morning.
2: Hi, good morning, Shannon. I'm so excited to be here. Grateful for the opportunity to be on your guys' show.
1: Of course. Yeah, we were originally talking about maybe diving more into the marketing role that you have with Carlson Engineering and Manufacturing. But then you were very quick to say, hey, wait, there's, I think, a bigger issue going on with just B2B websites and how you're really passionate about helping B2B marketers enhance those tools to be the ultimate sales tool for them, but more importantly, a very powerful lead generation machine. So I'm excited to right. have yeah, your thought leadership on. And I think the perfect place to start is just kind of talking about your experience with the traditional functionality of B2B websites and how that's kind of changed now and how their role is now different. So if you wouldn't mind sharing.
2: Sure, so that's actually one of the reasons that I was hired on with Carlson was because they had what you would generally consider a very traditional B2B site, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it was one of those old 90s style sites that was static, uh, it was static basic info, no automation whatsoever, you know? Uh, you, you know the kinds of sites that I'm talking about, right? Yes. <laughs> right, yeah, there's too many of them at the moment that's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what we're working on. Um, but what it, we're trying to... Kind of see what we're kind of seeing right now, and um, thanks to my friend John Henry on LinkedIn for this one, he put this into a really good perspective. B2Bers are kind of understanding that the same people purchasing Netflix and Spotify are the exact same people who are buying, you know, software or B2B services, and they expect that same level of design and branding and synchrony when they're purchasing on, you know. I don't know Mailchimp's website as they would expect from Netflix. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the trend that you know I've at least started to witness with B two B web design. so um, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on that.
1: Okay. Cool. So from that traditional kind of stagnant brochure feel that we had kind of in the early 2000s, even maybe into like the mid 2000s, what are a few of the key factors then that make for really great B2B websites? And maybe on top of that, what are some mistakes that marketers might make when they're designing one that they think this is a slam dunk, but actually you might need to move a few things around to make (laughs) it a little bit more functional?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally understand. So I think that, in my opinion at least, there's always a concise formula that you have to follow when you're designing a B2B site. Okay. And it borrows a little bit from business-to-consumer websites in the sense that you're appealing to the same audience, just in a different way. So what I mean by that is whether you're on a B2B site or a B2C site, you're going to need an immediately visible call, call- to action, uh, value prop you know you're going to have to clearly define your navigational hierarchy your main menu where things are going where you want the user to go um, and you all have to you have to tie it all together with a clearly thought out branding you know yeah. because without that what you basically have is sure a nice website but there's no personality behind it it feels stale and it feels static and there's no difference in my opinion between a static modern website and a static 90s style website totally you know and i think um you and i actually talked about earlier on linkedin um there was an analogy that i made about um for example some business to business marketers are kind of what they're doing right now is running with broken legs in terms of their website Uh, they're kind of letting their website get away from them and you know, I, I mentioned to you, why would you want to continue running with those broken legs? We need to go to the doctor and fix them up,
1: mm-hmm. you know? Totally. And that's what
2: I'm trying to get. That's what I'm trying to get people to start doing and start realizing that the same people who are buying Spotify and Netflix are also, you know, on MailChimp. They're on Zapier. They're on your manufacturing site. They're looking for your uh, your engineering solution.
1: Yeah. And I love that you mentioned earlier that B2C website or basically the whole idea when you talk about B2C versus B2B, I always like to say at the end of the day, you're selling to people, whether they're a consumer or whether they're a professional buying for their manufacturing facility. And I think the way that we've kind of been trained just to digest information like Taylor and I were talking about earlier with whether it be Gen Z or millennials, it really doesn't matter because we live in a world of excess information, and the companies and the brands that win consumers are the ones that simplify, make things easy, um, find that need, and I think a website really suits to that. You need to have that personality, like you're talking about the branding behind not just the homepage or the landing page, but each page of the site carries that over. And then I imagine having Mm -hmm. some kind of easy communication tool for when you get there, it's not like you're walking into an empty retail store and there's no one there to greet you. You you need to have something (laughs) there to make it accessible. Clearly the website visitor is there for a reason. You don't just go to a website for nothing. So do you find that having kind of enhanced communication also really helps that situation?
2: You know, I've found that um, things like live chats are really helpful. Um, help centers, using uh, softwares like Zendesk for your customer service.
0: Um,
2: but the one thing that i found that kind of really ties everything together and makes a B2B website complete is uh, automation. You know, between your website, your CRN, your email marketing, whatever third-party softwares uh, or, or, S- or SaaS softwares that you might be using, mm-hmm. what you need is a... Uh, clear link or a sync between your website and those documents, you know, so it, it makes that, that level of communication just easier for your sales reps and for the customer.
1: Yeah, I love that because there's so much that goes into kind of the business side of, okay, we're making this website more functional for us and then versus we're making this site more functional for the hopeful customer, client, whoever it might be, visitor. And I like that you mentioned tying everything in for the back site for the actual business because there's so many tools that businesses are running now. Like you said, whether it be CRM, whether it be email blast, whether it be social media campaign, whether it be some kind of lead tracking tool. So in order to compile all that information accurately and efficiently, having automation is probably key. Do you help your customers with that on the automation side? Is that something that you consult on? Or is it more on the design and kind of functionality?
2: Absolutely. You know, I help, I consult with my customers using softwares like uh, uh, Marketo and Zapier and Autopilot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just different different types of uh, marketing automation that when used effectively on B2B sites can be super duper effective at not only increasing the quantity of your leads, but increasing the quality of your leads, because you're now, effectively, what you're doing is you're providing your users with less time having to call in to your uh, customer service or your sales reps with questions that, you know, they'll that'll just be wasting their time. And they're vetting themselves. They're just checking the information on your website to see if that matches and aligns with what their needs are. And when you have that level of automation... It just makes it it makes it that much easier for them to get in, into contact with you yeah. and for you to get into contact with them. Yeah,
1: I couldn't agree more. And you kind of mentioned leads and um, just overall enhancing the sales pipeline and sales funnel. But in your opinion, why should websites be such a vital tool, if not the most vital tool for marketers specifically?
2: Oh, God. Um, I think you put it best <laughs> over LinkedIn. Yeah, Uh, You mentioned, you know, why wouldn't you want to make your most important channel that you own your best asset? And I love that. I'm starting to borrow that for my clients. (laughs) That'll be
1: 10% commission, Andrew? No, I'm kidding.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, I mean, there's obviously there's ads that you run. There's directories that you can pay for listings and, you know, there's trade shows, there's social media. But if you can master your organic inbound lead generation campaign Mm -hmm. and strategy, you know, and you execute it on your website without any question of, you know, how, how effective of a strategy it is, it's one of the most strong and reliable sources of new business that you can kind of generate. Mm-hmm. So I always, I tell my clients that exactly what you said, I've never worded it the way that you said, but it really is the channel that they own and it should be their top of the funnel best performing asset. So they need to be optimizing their website for those inbound leads. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we really talk but, about.
2: That's
1: my opinion. Cool, and I couldn't agree more. We we talk about ownership a lot, um, or at least I do when I'm talking with marketers on my end, helping them with content marketing and all that, because like. The way that we differ, websites don't differ too much B2C or B2B, but I think where, really where we see that separation in selling direct to consumers versus selling a need for a business is all about how you attract the attention of those people. Because in B2B, you're lucky because you know exactly who you're trying to sell to. So you know exactly what you need to do in order to tailor your content or tailor your website. And unfortunately, in B2C, you're just kind of casting a wide net and you might have a profile of who you think your your customers are or your product fits best with. But B2B is great because you truly know who you're, who you're trying to sell to. And so you want to really organically own the channels that you don't have to pay for. So whether it be your social media, um, whether it be your sales team as they're reaching out to people. But I think like we've been talking about, Websites are the true, I mean, it's almost your your trophy for your business. And if a client doesn't have a good experience with that kind of first, I guess, introduction to your business, then you're kind of losing the opportunity to make them a client. So um, how do you see then, we kind of talked about ownership. I imagine part of your consulting goes into how they bring people back to the website. Would I be wrong in saying that?
2: Um, usually, like, can you, how do you, how would you define that a little bit? So,
1: yeah, so you work with your clients. Yeah, so you work with your clients on making their website really optimized, really functional, having a lot of great automation Mm -hmm. behind it so that when people come back to the site, they have a great experience. But do you work with them about, okay, so now our website's great. Now, how do we bring Mm -hmm. people back?
2: Right. So in the B2B, generally what will happen is obviously sales cycles are longer. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you're buying these products that if, if it was a B2C product, it might be $12 or $20. But when it's B2B, these products are five, ten, fifteen, fifty thousand dollars Yeah. Some 50000 some of the time. So obviously the sales cycle is going to be a lot longer than it would be if it were B2C. So optimizing for retention rates and uh, kind of I think the most important part of that is uh, having a follow-up plan set -hmm. up. Yes, and I talk about that a little bit in the uh, book that I, the e-book that I wrote, which uh, we will link down below
1: for those who want to read it. It'll be in the write-up. Please check it out.
2: Awesome, thank you. I think one of the things that I talk about is not following up. You know, and having a a concrete lead nurturing campaign is one of the most important things that you know you can do. Not only the CML, but as any sales person, you know, mm-hmm. and I think tying in marketing and sales is one thing that a lot of B2B businesses kind of are afraid of doing. But it's really important because otherwise you're not going to get, you know, these these insights from your marketing department like, hey, we need to be following up with these people. Why, aren't, why isn't our sales team doing that? You know, so I think that for B2B at least, the biggest thing, in my opinion, would be follow-ups and nurturing campaigns, you know, email marketing scheduling phone calls, uh, meetings, uh, things like that.
1: Oh my and that just keeps
2: them coming back with that long sales strategy or that long sales cycle.
1: I could not agree more. And I'm so glad you talked about that. And I feel like we could go down a huge rabbit hole about just what you're talking <laughs> about. The, the unfortunate gap that happens with sales and marketing, but that's a whole nother episode. So we'll have to schedule you to come back on and talk <laughs> about that. But Yeah, I think follow up from visitors coming to the website is huge. And I couldn't agree more that that's an area where a lot of the times it gets overlooked and I'm sure could truly enhance, um, like we've been talking about, that lead gen, that sales pipeline development. So glad you touched Mm -hmm. on that. And it sounds like you've had quite a bit of experience in this field working, whether specifically with CMOs and marketing directors and VPs, or working kind of on the engineering side with Carlson. But has there been somebody in your marketing career that's really impacted you or someone that you'd like to personally name a maverick of marketing?
2: Right. So, you know, with my experience, I mean, there's obviously so many people that I can name, but the one person that... Sticks out me the most would have to be um, my former manager for a advertising company I used to work at out of in Southern California. Mm -hmm. Um, His name is Michael DelBuccia. He was kind of like an industry veteran from the promo product uh, world, 20 some years of experience. He kind of took me under his his, like wing. Um, And he taught me a lot about not only promo product marketing, but B2B marketing in general. And this was all maybe five or six years ago a little bit um and he you know he didn't really have to because he was just my manager and he could have easily just said you know hey you know this isn't you're using b2c techniques we need to be using b2b he showed me you know he kind of held my hand through the difference because i had come from a predominantly b2c environment before that so making that transition for me was kind of like you know learning how to swim for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, and so what I did was I I tried to apply a lot of B2C principles in design, uh, marketing, and strategy and execution to B2B. You know, for example, going kind of back to what we talked about, about retention rates, uh, retargeting is something that's kind of reserved for the most part for B2C marketing. Mm -hmm. But I try to implement retargeting ads uh, in all my B2B client websites that I do because you know it's kind of staying in your client in your uh ideal audience's peripheral
1: Mm -hmm. and uh
2: i actually got that idea from michael del so that's definitely who i want to name my uh my preferred maverick of marketing.
1: (laughs) He's in the club. (laughs) That's awesome. I I always love hearing about people's mentors that they've worked with because it seems like more often than not, it's somebody that, like you said, it was someone who really showed you the ropes, who not just kind of told you what to do, but really did it in practice and helped you along the way. And I think that's what makes for such a great generation of new marketers is, Having the the ones who have previously dominated um, before and really showing people the ropes and not being afraid of adapting new technologies as things kind of change because that's just the world we live in. It's constantly evolving. Exactly. People are constantly changing. So having someone that really showed you the ropes and did something that was a little bit outside the norm with that retargeting, that's pretty cool. So thanks for sharing that. And Andrew, thanks so much for being with us here today. I've learned a lot about uh, websites and kind of the the gaps that people are seeing and and making them truly the best tool that they can own. And I've really appreciated your, your thought leadership on this topic.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, again, just super grateful to have been on the show. Thanks for, you know, having me here.
1: Of course. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, we're talking with Andrew Palacios, the founder of Andrew Palacios Web Design, also the marketing director of Carlson Engineering. So, Andrew, thank you so much for being with us here today. And be sure to check out his ebook that is linked down below. Thank you. All right. We'll be talking with you soon, Andrew. Okay. Bye. Wow, everybody. How was is that? Isn't Andrew so cool? I when I first talked with him, I I had reached out because he's obviously working in a manufacturing kind of engineering company. So I was like, I really want to talk about marketing technical products. And he's like, "Wait a second. I think there's a bigger issue going on with just the overall functionality of B2B websites. And I think we're seeing more companies kind of catch on to that idea, but he really has some great insights on just simple ways to really enhance the experience that you're hoping to give your potential clients who come back. So, be sure to check out his ebook that is linked down below and um yeah, learn a little bit more for yourself. So, can't thank him enough. And guys, I hope I did an okay job. First time being host, being producer. We got DJ Shandog behind on the ones and twos. Am I aging myself? I don't know. (laughs) But uh, thanks so much for being with us here today. Lots of cool things happening in B2B. And um, be sure to check out those news links in the ride up below. And as always, guys, this is your host, Shannon Maverick of the Maverick of Marketing Radio. Remember, Mavericks, we just don't run with the herd.